This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Welcome to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. Hi, I'm Jamie Busson. I'm a former commercial litigator who used to weigh 242 pounds. When I was 38 years old, I lost over 50 pounds through a regimen of exercise and better nutrition. It took me a year to reach my goal, but I thought if a type A personality like me could do it, really anybody can. I'm still asking questions and learning about what it means to live a healthy lifestyle. Please join me on this continuing journey. Today, we're going to discuss the dangers of a sedentary lifestyle with Dr. Kwajo Kairamanti. We'll find out about the treatment of strokes with Dr. Ted Ween. We'll explore top tips for growing tomatoes with organic master gardener, Melissa Cameron. And lastly, we'll learn how to get more vegetables into your life with cookbook reviewer, Naomi Bussin. Before we get to that, here's your tonic quick shot. Researchers have uncovered the role the thymus gland plays in creating and training specialized anti-cancer white blood cells known as gamma-delta T cells. This unsung organ produces these amazing cells after we're born so that they can enter the body and start fighting off disease and infection. The discovery could help in the development of more preventative treatments according to a new study. The research, led by Murdoch Children's Research Institute and Federation University Australia, has uncovered how these specialized white blood cells operate and can produce an immune response. Thanks to artificial intelligence, we'll soon be able to predict our risk of developing serious health conditions later in life at the press of a button. Abdominal aortic calcification, or AAC, is a calcification which can build up within the walls of the abdominal aorta and predicts your risk of developing cardiovascular disease events such as heart attacks and stroke. It also predicts your risk of falls, fractures, and late-life dementia. Conveniently, common bone density machine scans used to detect osteoporosis, can also detect AAC. However, highly trained expert readers are needed to analyze these images, a process which can take 5 to 15 minutes per image. But researchers from Edith Cowan University's ECU School of Science and School of Medical and Health Sciences have collaborated to develop software which can analyze scans much, much faster, roughly 60,000 images in a single day. ChatGPT's responses to people's healthcare-related queries are nearly indistinguishable from those provided by humans, a new study from NYU Tandon School of Engineering and Grossman School of Medicine reveals, suggesting the potential for chatbots to be effective allies to healthcare providers' communications with patients. I'll be joined by Dr. Kwajo Kairamanting in a moment, but first, a little bit of business. Imagine a healthier and happier you. Hi there, I'm Dr. Kwajo Karamantang, head of the ICU at the Ottawa Hospital. Every day, I see how important healthy habits are. And that's why I've created a course that could change your life. Do you want to lose weight, feel happier? I've got a few pointers to share with you. So why not take my course and give it a try? It's risk-free with a money-back guarantee. Visit 28dayreboot.co. That's 28dayreboot.co. Let's make a change together. Dr. Kwajo Kairamanting is a critical care and palliative care physician at Ottawa General Hospital, where he cares for the sickest of the sick in the intensive care unit. 
He's also an assistant professor at the University of Ottawa, and his research focuses on making the ICU a more efficient place and improving the quality of palliative care. He founded the Resource Optimization Network, a multidisciplinary research group working to reduce health spending in this area without compromising health care. He's also an author of a new book coming out in September and the host of a new radio show, Solving Healthcare Radio with Dr. K on Saga 960. Welcome back to the show, doctor. How are you? Jamie, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing well, buddy. How are you? Better now. As my listeners know, I, I struggled with a pretty serious health issue back in February and you know, still dealing with the effects, but I think it ties in very nicely with what we're going to discuss today. So I can tell you from my experience, I almost missed the mark here. But how do you know when you need to go to the hospital? What are some of the symptoms that you would identify? Yeah, that's a big question, Jamie, but an important one. There's so many conditions where you need medical attention sooner than later. So it's just starting from head to toe, extreme headache, that the worst headache you've ever had in your life often would need uh, medical attention. If you're not moving one side or another, signs of a stroke. If you're having trouble with your vision acutely, if you're having an allergic reaction, which often could symptoms of lip swelling or your, you feel like your throat's closing in on you. If you're feeling lightheaded, you're not able to stand because your blood pressure might be low. If you're having chest pain, shortness of breath that is out of keeping of what you're normally experiencing. Uh, and, you know, and it's, I think you could speak to this one. You're having really bad abdominal pain, which seems to be getting worse with time. So many conditions you could think of that would require acute medical attention, but I think intuitively most people know. Like there, there's only a few maybe subtle conditions I think that people aren't aware about. Like sometimes, for example, if a if an older lady is having a heart attack, sometimes it could be quite deceptive. It could be just a bit of nausea. It could be a bit of shortness of breath. But for the most part, intuitively, most of you guys know when you need acute medical attention. So for me, I was experiencing intense abdominal pain, but also I felt like I needed to pee and I couldn't. So the the amateur physician in me thought that I had a, a kidney stone. And we actually had the ambulance come out and they said, oh yeah, textbook kidney stone. So they gave me some uh, medicine to help the stone pass. It was a long weekend and I didn't want to go to emergency on a long weekend. And I thought I could ride it out. And then things just got worse from there to the point where we had to get the ambulance back. And my neighbor, who is actually an emergency room doctor, happened to be there and saw the ambulance come twice, came into my house and said, uh, dude, that is not a kidney stone. You need to get to emergency. So, you know, I can tell you from, from experience, you know, it isn't easy to know when you, when you should be going to emergency. And, and I'm a pretty smart guy. You know, I know that you're in ICU. What are some of the impacts of poor health that you see daily as it pertains to people who are, who are coming into the hospital? Oh, Jamie, it's a great question. And I don't know if I've really put, got a, a full appreciation of this until COVID because a significant amount of our patients that came, especially pre-vaccine, were people that had poor health. So they were yeah. either pre-diabetic or diabetic. They had obesity. They had high blood pressure. They had conditions known as metabolic syndrome, which are associated with, as I mentioned, high blood pressure, obesity, type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol. And so I started to pick up on, as many docs start to pick up on this association, and you can't help but notice. And then you start thinking about all the other conditions that we see in the ICU, and it's very similar impacts. When you're not healthy, 
you're more likely to land in ICU. But the other component of this, Jamie, is if you're fit, if you are someone that has taken good care of yourself, you're way more likely to survive. You're way more likely to leave the uh, the hospital and the ICU and be, go back to your regular life. Like, if I could give a quick example, one of the patients that I saw many years ago, he was in the 70s and he and he broke his neck and he died for a period of time. He got revived, and most people that that are in their 70s that go through that, they don't leave hospital. They don't. Yeah. Like the outcomes are poor. And this guy went to the gym five days a week. He took his weight training seriously. And because of his fitness, because of his resolve, which also comes with going to the gym five days a week, he's at home playing with his grandkids. And I can't think of another example where a guy at that age was able to get through. But so chronic conditions, see it all the time. And But on the other side of that, Jamie, if you are taking good care of yourself, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. I am of the firm belief. With my family history of cancer and heart heart disease, I knew I was going to have a health episode at some point in my life. I just didn't know what it was going to be. And my view was I wanted to be as ready as I possibly could be to do whatever I could do to be as healthy as I could be so that when this happened to me, and I thought it was going to be a heart attack or cancer, and it wasn't, I'd be able to survive. And I am convinced And nobody can tell me otherwise that if I wasn't fit going into my emergency situation, there's no question I wouldn't have come out of it. So I'm in 100% agreement with you. I'm glad things are working out, Jamie, first of all. But yeah, it's really well put, my friend. Let's talk about what you do. And I'll tell you a little bit what I do to stay fit, because I think you may be fitter than me. I think you're younger than me, too. So what are some of the things that you do? Because I think you can lead by example on this front. Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, we all have stuff we can work on, but... I make it, I'm a big believer to be an example for our kids, to be an example for the community. Like, it's one thing to just give people advice, but I also want to live it. I want to, when people see me, they, they know that we're taking care of ourselves and we're, and we're, we're trying to be an example. So I, I focus on four pillars, Jamie. It's nutrition, movement, stress management, and, and community. And from a nutrition perspective, what I do to, to stay on form is I really emphasize protein intake. I, I make sure that I have at least 0.7 to a gram of protein per pound per day to make sure my lean muscle mass is on point because this is a real protector from frailty, from yeah. from even dementia, which some, some recent studies have shown. So I'm, I'm big on making sure that I add my weight training. The other component of that, too, is I like to intermittent fast which is a real important part of my regime because it allows me my eating windows like i don't really think about how much i'm eating i just eat and and it's really convenient yeah and then from the movement perspective i always like to fit in like at least making sure i get close to ten thousand steps a day plus doing some form of exercise whether that is weight training or my sports which hockey is my number one and then from a stress management perspective i like to like sleep is the best like solution to many things and it's something that i'm still working on unfortunately yeah but during the day, just making sure I take some deep breaths, some uh, box breathing or some form of meditation, focusing on my breath. And I'm just talking about one to two minute intervals, two, three times a day. I find that could be really effective. And then from community, I, I, I try and do that through my sports or, or you know, hockey with the boys. That's fine. 
Uh, I do a lot of fitness classes locally, a boxing gym, and so on. So I, those are the kind of things that I try and focus on and, and preach for folks to try and stay healthy or to get healthy. Yeah, I'm with you. So I exercise five times a week, and it involves rowing or weight work or hit classes. In addition, I'm walking because I have a dog at least twice a day, so probably an hour and a half a day on average or over the course of the week and trying to eat healthy and trying to sleep. So I think you and I are exactly on the same page. Are there supplements and behaviors that you believe can change the outcome of one's life? Yeah, that's a great question because I, I feel like the supplement side is a bit of a mystery to so many people. And I, yeah. and there's a lot of options out there, but I'll, I'll tell the ones that I think give really big bang for your buck and that are safe. Yep. So I like magnesium for sleep. So my, my uh, magnesium glycinate, uh, anywhere from about, usually about 400 milligrams. And it's great for sleep. It helps to relax your muscles. So if you're having a lot of muscle tension, I, I really think it's it's just such a, a powerful supplement. For those that are trying to maintain their muscle mass, creatine is magical, um, creatine monohydrate. So I've been taking that daily over the last six months. I've re- rejuvenated my creatine intake. It's increased my lean muscle mass. So I've gained some muscle mass over the last six months. And the, the advantage of it, it makes you stronger. It helps you recover faster. And, the, and it also has some impact on mood that a lot of people don't realize. So hmm. that one, I think, is is an is extreme benefit. And the last two, I would say, is omega-3 fatty acids. Like that me is is great for reducing inflammation there's some cognitive benefits for that as well and then vitamin d being a north being in a northern climate is a no-brainer like everyone should be be taking vitamin d unless they're getting sunlight every day which during these times are is much easier but in winter months that's when i think most people should definitely be taking some vitamin d so those are the ones that i think at a personal level give you big bang for your buck okay so you have this new uh, reboot course, 28-day reboot. Why did you make it, and who is this for? You know, it's really for those people that feel stuck. You know, like there's a lot of people that, like you go on your social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter, what have you, and you try and get all this information to try and get healthy, and it's saturated. It's so hard to know what's what. You get differing information. Should I go vegan? Should I go carnivore? Should I fast? Should I go keto? Should I eat more frequently? It's so much information out there, and what I wanted to do for people is just distill it into the most simple, effective ways to get healthy, to feel better, to start moving and feel rewarded, and the key concepts here is, is that we want you to fall in love with the process. Mm-hmm. We want you to know that it's not like you can't expect to lose 10 pounds over a week. You, you, you need to be able to find that process where you're enjoying the new change in your life. And ultimately, then you will find the results. It's all about, you know, the impacts of nutrition. Once again, I, little things like emphasizing protein, like half your plate needs to be protein. If you do that, huge bang for your buck. Reduce your processed foods. You do that, huge bang for your buck. Introduce resistance training, even if it's twice or three days a week, even if it's body if it's body weight exercises, you're going to reap the benefits. Look at ways that are improving your sleep, like use blue blocking glasses if you're on a device at nighttime, or simply don't look at using your devices an hour before bedtime. Get into a sleep routine where you're stretching and, and, and falling in a 
process that makes you more relaxed. So keeping it simple and having a, a bit of a community that's going to support you and winning. And just like I, I'm really, I'm really a big fan of of encouraging people and giving that positive reinforcement. So I hope people that can check it out, 28dayreboot.co, really will reap the benefits. But it was a real passion project of mine because, as you and I just mentioned, we know the benefits of of getting fitter and feeling healthier, not only physically but also mentally. And I just want to be able to offer that to more people than than we can. Okay, so here's the crux of it as far as I'm concerned. People have great intentions, and I think most people can probably sustain changes in the short run. But the real key to health is making these decisions and executing in a way that it becomes a lifestyle decision for you. So what do you think makes for real habit change? Is it a course like this? Is it a buddy system? Like, What are the ways to make these changes stick? That's a great question. To me, it's all about finding a way to personalize it for that individual where they're taking those baby steps that aren't leaps, but those baby steps are sustainable and they continue that momentum. So for example, as we talked about, if you increase your protein, you're eating protein anyway, right? Yep. So just add more onto your plate, you've achieved a goal. If you are somebody that has chips every day, let's, we want to just say, okay, reduce it by... 25% per day or take it every second day as opposed to, hey, let's quit this cold turkey and really not provide you with the tools to succeed. So to me, when I always hear about people failing or not being able to create that habit, it's it's because it's often quick and it's extreme. And yeah. what we're trying to do here is give you the tools that are not extreme and not necessarily quick, but you create that habit that you could maintain lifelong. And I'm not going to by any means say that you do the 28 days and now you're going to be looking like uh, a fitness model, but you will have those habits locked in. So moving forward over the next six months, you'll start winning. If people are interested in your course, where should they go? They should go to 28dayreboot.co. That's 28dayreboot.co. And and start transforming your life. You, know, you, you will not regret it. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jamie. That was Dr. Kwajo Kayaramanting. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss strokes on the tonic. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. I'd like to give a shout-out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. 
Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. A stroke that results in a hospital admission or an emergency department visit occurs roughly once every five minutes in Canada. That means approximately 12 Canadians will have suffered a stroke in the time it takes to listen to this show broadcast. Although strokes remain one of the leading causes of death in our country, there's been incredible progress in recognizing stroke onset and managing post-stroke care. Today, I'll be speaking with Dr. Ted Wien, Assistant Professor of Neurology and Neurosurgery at McGill University and Active Physician at the Stroke Prevention Clinic in Montreal General Hospital. Welcome to the show, Dr. Wien. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. So for those who don't know, what is a stroke? That's a great question. A stroke is like a heart attack except in the brain. So what can happen are one of two things. Either the artery in the brain gets blocked, in which case there's a lack of blood supply to the brain and the brain cells will die, and that's called an ischemic stroke. Or sometimes the artery in the brain will actually break and people will bleed into their brain, and that's what we call a hemorrhagic stroke. So what happens after you suffer a stroke specifically? So after you suffer a stroke, the first thing we do as doctors is to try to establish why the stroke happened, and we put people through a whole bunch of tests and exams to figure out what caused the stroke. But it's really what happens after that that's the most concerning. Uh, We currently have 880,000 Canadians surviving with stroke in the country, and the most common complication of stroke is being paralyzed on one side of your body. But depending on which part of the brain is damaged, you can have your vision affected, you can have your speech affected, you can have motor function affected, or you can have loss of sensation and coordination. Okay. Is there a way to prevent strokes, or is this just a random occurrence? So there are ways to prevent strokes. And in fact, if we look at what are the commonest causes of stroke, it would be high blood pressure, people who are smoking, people who don't eat healthy diets, and people who are not physically active. So it's been shown that if you have your blood pressure under control, if you exercise for 30 minutes a day, If you keep your waistline down, if you don't consume excessive amounts of alcohol, and you quit smoking, that you can probably reduce your risk of having a stroke by around 80 to 90%. So it's much the same as as a heart attack, both also in the the sort of prevention category too, right? No, absolutely. I mean, the strokes and heart attacks are diseases of the blood vessels or atherosclerosis, and they're the exact same things. You know, the broad brain attack would have been a better one for making people understanding what's going on, but we're the same thing as a heart attack, same risk factors, the same things we need to do to prevent it, and it is a preventable disease, and I think that's the key message I want so many Canadians to know. So I know as somebody with family members who have a history of heart disease, is there the same sort of concern that there's a hereditary element to strokes or is that different? No, it's a little bit different. I mean, there's still the genetic factors of high cholesterol, diabetes that are going to be genetic uh, risk factors. But genetically, stroke itself is fairly rare to have that as a something that runs in families. Okay, so there's something called post-stroke spasticity. Am I pronouncing that right? Yes, spasticity. That's perfect. Big word. So what is that and what are some of the challenges of having that condition? Yeah. So spasticity is a complication of stroke. And so usually after a stroke, you'll you'll be paralyzed. So you won't be able to move your arm or your leg. 
But spasticity means that the brain hasn't repaired itself properly, and people become very stiff in the arm or in the leg. So spasticity refers to having increased tone or stiffness in the arm. It leads to abnormal posturing of your arm, so your arm may go get flexed up, or when you walk, your foot may turn the wrong way. And this leads to a lot of complications. In fact, patients with stroke spasticity have the worst outcome of any stroke patient. And what post-stroke spasticity does is it causes spasms, it causes cramps, it causes pain, it inhibits you from getting dressed, it stops you from walking properly, it restricts you from being able to transfer from your seat to a standing position, and frequently people need caregivers to try to help them overcome the complications of spasticity. It sounds to me like it would probably be a higher risk of falling as well, right? So the damage that might occur... Maybe if you're older from falling might be exacerbated if you've suffered a stroke, right? So absolutely. You know, the abnormal postures and the inability to properly use the limb or the limb working incorrectly causes people to trip over their feet, trip over carpets. And that's why we have various treatments out there for this to try to change these positions. And it's one of the treatments we use is the drug Botox, which we all know for the fancy reason for cosmetics, but it actually has a lot of medical indications. And for example, you talked about falling, we would inject certain muscles in the leg to try to reposition the foot in the correct pattern so that individuals will be able to walk easier. We'll decrease the stiffness in the limb, reposition the foot, and that will help people be able to walk safer and more comfortably. So the spasticity, which I think it's called PSS, post-stroke spasticity, what are some of the ways other than Botox that doctors can help to manage that condition? Right. So Botox would be the the first line of choice, or there's other botulinum toxins on the market. There are also oral medications that are available, tizanidine as well as lyoricil. These two medications are taken orally, but their side effects are that they cause a lot of sedation, so people aren't frequently able to tolerate it. And another therapy would just be regular physiotherapy to try to stretch out the muscle and keep the tendon as long as possible so that there's no stiffness there. But unfortunately, physiotherapy is good for the short term, but it doesn't have sustained benefit long term, and patients would have to do it on a daily basis. And unfortunately, our healthcare system doesn't provide us with uh, physiotherapy so regularly, which is quite costly. But to me, the combination of all three therapies is ideal therapy for our patients. Okay, so, you know, maybe I should have asked this up front, but for those who've never experienced it, like, how do you know if you're having a stroke? Are there indicia? Oh, absolutely. So the Heart and Stroke Foundation of Canada has uh, an acronym called FAST. And those that acronym stands for F for face, is your face drooping? Two for A for arms, can you raise your arms or is one of them weak? The third one is S for speech, are you having trouble speaking, slurring your words or not finding the right words? And the last one is time because you need to call 911 right away. We have treatments for stroke, but they need to be given within the first six hours usually, sometimes out to 18 hours. There's various therapies out there. But unfortunately, most Canadians don't present to the emergency room in time because they're either not aware they have a stroke or they think the symptoms may go away. And I urge everybody listening, if you have any of these symptoms of your face drooping, you're not being able to move an arm, slurring or change in your speech, please call 911 and go straight to the emergency room. Okay, I'm going to throw another acronym at you and you're going to tell me what it's about, okay? 
REACT. What is that an acronym for? So REACT is an acronym we've created to help identify post-stroke spasticity. Okay. And I've been involved in the treatment of stroke patients for over 25 years. And to me, the saddest component is that people don't realize they have post-stroke spasticity and people get treated way too late. So REACT is used to help people identify whether they have spasticity. So the R stands for restricted movement. If you have decreased movement or abnormal movements or tightness or stiffness, that would be the R. E stands for early detection and intervention. So early identification, just like identify the stroke symptoms as soon as possible. If we treat stroke, post-stroke spasticity early on, you're more likely to have a great response to the therapy because with time, it becomes more challenging to treat. The A stands for altered function. You know, the post-stroke spasticity can alter what you do on day-to-day. And by treating it, we can get people back to their baselines or even help them in all the routine things we do every day that we don't think about, walking, sitting, getting out of a chair, or standing. The C stands for change in muscle stiffness or posture. So another sign of spasticity is muscles becoming stiffer. So you have restricted movements. You can't use them the way you are, but the change in muscle stiffness is the hallmark feature of spasticity. And the T stands for talk to your doctor. You need to let your doctor know. Unfortunately, spasticity wasn't the sexiest topic when I was in medical school or in training and we had no therapies for it. And so people don't routinely screen for it. And I think there's a need for education to both physicians as well as patients that this may occur. So if you want to react and treat your spasticity, you need to recognize it. So restricted movements, early detection, altered function, and changing your muscle tone, and talk to your doctor about it so you can get referred for proper treatment. We have time for one last question, and that is what key stroke and post-stroke facts should every Canadian know? I think the key facts that everybody should know are A, the symptoms using the FAST acronym, face, arm, speech. Number two, this is a common disease. One stroke every five minutes, you said before. You know, one quarter of strokes in this country are under the age of 65, but we can prevent this disease. We can beat this disease. Control your risk factors. Control your blood pressure. Control your diabetes. Eat healthy. Please exercise at least 30 minutes a day. Quit smoking and alcohol, and you've reduced your risk by stroke by around 80%. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. That was Dr. Ted Wien. We have to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss the top tips for growing tomatoes on The Tonic. If you're looking for premium natural products, choose New Roots Herbal, proudly Canadian and family-owned for over 35 years. What really sets them apart is their dedication to quality. They source only the highest quality ingredients and test each one in a state-of-the-art ISO-accredited lab. You get the purity and potency you expect. Available exclusively at fine health food stores. To learn more or find a store near you, visit NewRootsHerbal.com. Real self-care means tuning in to what your body needs. If you're feeling overwhelmed, Camprev Women is a good place to start. Whether you're looking to reduce stress or anxiety, improve sleep, balance hormones through peri and post-menopause, or just feel better daily, our comprehensive formulas are designed to support your individual health goals. Your body, your health. Visit canprevwomen.ca to learn more today. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. 
Melissa Cameron is an organic master gardener and founder of The Good Seed, a garden education and design company. She's been featured on websites such as Farmer's Footprint, Floret, and Toronto Life, and is the regular garden contributor for the Canadian Vegan Magazine. The Good Seed specializes in organic edible gardens, pollinator and native garden plantings, and sustainable cut flower garden designs. In addition, she is the co-founder of the Abermory Garden Collective, a not-for-profit that grows organic food and donates it to families with young children facing food insecurity. For more information, please visit thegoodseedgarden.com. Welcome back, my friend. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks. How are you? Good. So you know I have a raised garden in my backyard and I grow flowers, but I also grow herbs and vegetables and tomatoes are one of the things I grow and it took me years to figure out what to do right but you're going to short circuit the whole thing and give everybody tips on how to grow tomatoes correctly right I am tomatoes can be sometimes surprisingly easy but can be sometimes very tricky Yep what's the one thing that we can do right now that would benefit the health of our tomato plants if there's like number 1 on your list what would you recommend Number one, the most important way to protect your tomato plants from fungal and bacterial disease is proper pruning. So good airflow is going to allow your plants to thrive, especially in this hot and humid weather. And careful pruning also allows the plant to focus on setting fruit. So the easiest way to prune your plant is to start at the bottom and remove any leaves that are close to the soil. And that's because most pathogens live on the soil's surface and they get transmitted to your tomato plant when water splashes up on the soil and lands on the low-hanging leaves. While we're talking about pruning, so my experience is my tomato plants look like really good and I've got them with the little trellis so that they get some support as they're growing up. And then I don't know if it happens like overnight, but at some stage in the summer, Things go out of control, and no matter how big a trellis I put there, the tomatoes seem to outgrow it. Do you recommend pruning sort of throughout the plant as well, or do I just have to live with the fact that tomatoes get unwieldy? Yeah. So we actually have two different kinds of tomato plants, so two different sort of growth patterns. One is called a determinate tomato, and the other one's called an indeterminate tomato. So those indeterminate tomatoes are the ones that kind of get away on us. Mm -hmm. And so we do recommend that you plan through the season. You'll also prune through the season. You should plan to prune. And you'll hear the term suckering a lot. And really what that means is removing those additional vines that grow between the juncture of the leaf and the stem. And those grow actually into new stems that can set fruit, but that's what makes the plant get kind of out of control. So you pinch those suckers that grow at a 45-degree angle on your indeterminate tomato plants between the stem and the leaf. I'm going to go home and I'm going to do that, like today. So I do my watering of the raised gardens every morning before it gets sun because you don't want to waste the water by doing it when it was just going to vaporize into the air. But do you have some specific watering tips for tomato plants? I do. And you're on the right track, so good news. (laughs) I like to remind all my garden clients to water the soil and not the plants. So that's the first thing. And this is very good for tomatoes. And like you said, the first rule of watering is to get out there nice and early in the morning. So I say make it into a ritual. Take your coffee, your matcha, whatever you're doing in the morning. Go on out, observe the garden, and water the soil. And I'd like listeners to stick their finger into the soil nice and deep because what often happens is that top layer of soil dries out very quickly and easily but there is moisture that can be found below 
So my recommendation would be give the soil around your tomato plants a nice deep watering every other day instead of watering higher up more frequently. Okay, good advice. Why do some tomatoes get brown and and mushy bottoms? That's a great question. So often we see these mushy brown bottoms on tomatoes at the beginning of the season, and particularly in the varieties that are shaped like Roma tomatoes or San Marzano's, so those longer and more oval-shaped tomatoes. And it's actually a physiological issue called blossom end rot, or BER. And so really what it is, it's just a lack of uptake of calcium in the plant. And so really two things to chat about here. Firstly, mostly it's a symptom of inconsistent watering. And most soils, including yours and your raised beds, you know, they have the calcium that the plant needs. They just need more water to facilitate absorption. So actually don't need to go out and buy any fancy calcium-based supplements, just more consistent watering. And then the second thing with blossom and rot is that it's only typically found on the first one or two sets of fruit for that tomato plant. So you can just discard them and usually the problem resolves itself. What about fertilizer? Is there a specific kind that we should be using for tomato plants? Well, I'm going to sound like a bit of a broken record here. Oh, I, I know it's coming. Can I guess? Can I guess? <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> You're going to suggest worm castings. Right. I'm going to suggest that we're really focusing on healthy soil versus fertilizing plants. So, again, soil that's teeming with life and a healthy soil food web is actually what's going to grow incredible plants for you. So, you know, at the beginning of the season, I'm a big proponent of the worm castings and great quality compost. If you are looking to supplement as the season goes on, I recommend a product, and I'm in no way affiliated with them, called Gaia Green Power Blue. And it's got an NPK ratio of 284, and that that 8 number is phosphorus, and that's what encourages your tomato plant to flower and then set fruit. Nice. Okay, so my experience is the normal-sized tomatoes, I just I struggle to get everything to grow nicely in my little garden, but I found that little cherry tomatoes seem to do really well. And even though the plants can grow bigger, they just seem to be more manageable. And with the trellises that I had, that was enough to support the smaller tomato size. And I actually prefer cooking with them. So it was like a win-win-win for me. I don't know if that's relevant advice, but that's just my personal opinion. Yeah. So the struggle we sometimes have with the larger tomatoes and just So your listeners know we have a couple of different sizes of tomatoes. And so in the industry, we would call, we have like a micro tomato, which is very tiny, a cherry, which is what you like. Then there's something called a cocktail tomato. And that's like a small plum, let's say. Yep. And then slicers. And slicers, you know, they can get really, really large. Some of the biggest varieties, you've got like mortgage lifter, for instance. (laughs) And they can be tricky to grow. One, they're heavy to support. Two, if we get one of those massive sort of thunder showers that happen in the summer, you can see cracking because they swell too quickly with water. And then where you see cracking, you can sometimes have damage. And so it is actually quite easy to grow cherry tomatoes as opposed to slicing tomatoes. And I would recommend for most listeners that you sort of just try a variety. Yeah. If you know cherries are working, maybe plant two cherry tomatoes, one cocktail, and then one slicer. Sounds like a plan. It's it just my experience was I'd be putting all this effort into growing the bigger tomatoes, and I don't know, they ended up looking weird or ugly, or you said, as you said, with the cracking, and it just we just weren't getting the harvest that we seem to get quite regularly with the smaller ones. So maybe I'm I'm just weak sauce, but that's my advice. So what is the easiest way to deal with a big tomato harvest? What would you do with it? 
Yeah, I mean, now this is a high-class problem that we yeah. all hope to have. Yeah. And, you know, if sharing with your neighbors and friends and family isn't enough, I would say the quickest and most delicious way to preserve your tomatoes is to roast them with some onion, garlic, thyme, good quality olive oil, and then blitz them in a blender and then freeze that roasted tomato sauce. And hmm. then you can add it to soups and dishes and sauces and all sorts of things. That's a good idea. So how should we store our tomatoes? Is it wrong to put them in the fridge? I think I know the answer to this. Go on. <laughs> yes. Okay. So like for the love of all things, good. Please, everyone, let's not put our tomatoes in the fridge, especially yes. when we grow them at home. Yep. Tomatoes contain an enzyme that enzyme that actually reacts to colder temperatures and it causes the cell membranes to break down and it leaves you with a piece of fruit that's kind of mushy and exactly. mealy and there's nothing worse than a mealy tomato. So if you're picking your homegrown tomatoes at peak ripeness, and I think you really should, yep. you really need to enjoy them very soon after removing them from the vine. Now, if you're trying to get ahead of the squirrels and you pick them a little shy of peak ripeness, store them in a cool, dry place out of the sun. And this is the pro tip. You want to store them upside down. And so this is, again, for huh. these larger slicing tomatoes. And that will actually encourage their ripening and protect any sort of damaged areas that are there. We take the reflexive approach. Like, as things ripen, we just decide, okay, that's what we're going to cook with tonight. You know, like, okay, tomatoes are ready. Great, we're going to have pasta with tomato sauce. Kale's ready. Cool. Kale salad or grilled kale. Like, that's what happens with us. What are the top three things that you are making with your tomatoes this year? Oh, I'm so excited for tomatoes. Okay, so... <laughs> I love a good sandwich on sourdough. So my favorite yep. tomato sandwich is tomato, basil, and some marinated tofu, a little crispy sourdough. I mean, that's pretty ideal. I would also encourage everyone to make a tomato confit. And I think we're going to chat about this a little bit more next time you and I chat. Yep. And then I'm also, and this is really basic, but I'm just partial to kind of standing in the garden, picking those ripe cherry tomatoes, picking a basil leaf, wrapping it up, and eating it right there. And I, you know, this is why we're growing tomatoes, right? For this exactly. incredible depth of flavor that we get when they're fresh off the vine and still warm from the sun. And I don't think you need to overcomplicate it. Simple pleasures. I think the plants kind of know where they're ending up. Like I grow the basil right beside the tomatoes because I figure, you know, it's one-stop shopping in my backyard because we're going to end up using both together. And they seem to thrive if you put them together. I, that's my experience, at least. Yeah, there's actually anecdotal evidence that growing basil next to your tomatoes makes your tomatoes taste better. I think we're on to something. Thanks for coming on the show. What do you want to talk about next time we're on? Well, I, I mean, I think you and I have sort of hinted at it right now. Yep. We're really into the food aspect of, you know, picking what's in season and eating it that night for dinner. So let's talk about garden to table trends, culinary trends, and what to do with our harvest. Sounds like a plan. That was Melissa Cameron. Thanks so much for being on the show. Thanks, Jamie. We have to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. Tired of lineups at your pharmacist? Why not try PharmaZ at the Zoomer store? 
Powered by the Health Depot, an Ontario-accredited pharmacy, PharmaZ offers a concierge approach to filling, refilling, and managing your prescriptions with free delivery anywhere in Ontario. To get started, visit zoomerstore.com and click on PharmaZ. And then click on the Circle of Care Pharmacy Program for your free initial consultation with a clinical pharmacist. Don't wait. Go today. Welcome back to The Tonic, your prescription for a healthier and happier life. Here's your host and publisher of Tonic Magazine, Jamie Busson. In addition to being a lawyer, my next guest wrote for Tonic Magazine for over seven years. And from 2015 forward, she wrote the very popular cookbook review column, my wife, Naomi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. You're on the show just to prove that we're still together because you haven't <laughs> been on the show in a long time. And I think some of the listeners might be worried that you and I were on the rocks. So more than anything, you know, forget the content of this interview. I just want you to verify for everybody we're still together. Okay. Hi, everyone. We're still together. Excellent. Okay. So today we're going to talk about why it's so important for people to have vegetables and how to get them into your diet if you're so inclined. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. So why is it, other than small children who make a fuss, is it so hard for some people to eat their veg? Some people just don't like vegetables. I would argue that they may not have had them prepared correctly. You know, they may have, yeah. sort of, you know, bad memories of overcooked, mushy, under-seasoned, you know, Brussels sprouts that were really bad. So people have some childhood trauma or PTSD about their yeah. vegetables. Yeah. Or they have in their head that it's not, you know, maybe they feel like it's not going to be enough, that they're going to be hungry or it's not manly. I mean, people might have all these different reasons, but we all know that vegetables are good for you. Like that I think is kind of generally known, but there's lots of things that are good for you that, you know, people don't always do. Yeah, I mean, my tastes have changed. Like I didn't like the way a lot of vegetables tasted before and it kind of you know, like you want to eat healthy, but it, by the same time you don't want to eat something that tastes yucky. And I mean, there's still some vegetables that I can't get around, but I think my palate has completely changed. I mean, you've known me for a long time, right? I eat vegetables now that I never, never used to eat, right? Yeah, you eat raw peppers and carrots and cucumbers when we met, and I think maybe that's it. Maybe. And, you know, kids have very sensitive palates. And as we get older, our senses do dull a little bit. So that's part of it. But it's also that you need to try things a few times to like them. I mean, ice cream isn't one of those things. Probably most people like ice cream when they first taste it. But for stronger tasting things like vegetables, you do have to try them a few times. So it makes sense that you might not have liked something as a child, but you can learn to like it. And like Brussels sprouts for me, which I hated, didn't like it all, thought were just disgusting. But now I think they're great. Yep. And we eat a lot of vegetables now, probably more than we did even maybe five, six years ago. Uh, yeah. So, you know, I think we should talk about like, you know, why that is and how that came about. What are your thoughts? It's to a certain extent uh, being mindful of the fact that it's good for you. It's also making a decision to eat less meat. So if you're going to eat less meat, well, what are you going to eat? You have to eat something. And, right. and there is information out there, even the Canada Food Guide, about what should be a meal and what your plate should look like. And this recognition that there should be more vegetables, you know, just way more focus on plant-forward meals, plant-forward cooking. And, and restaurants have that, too, so that you know, even your plate in a restaurant 
us as a steakhouse looks different. Um, it's not to say you can't have a plate of pasta, but there's more balance in terms of vegetables. And people have learned how to cook them so that they taste really good. And that is, of course, important. For me personally, you know, I eat way less meat than I used to. And I think it's just a function of me getting older, but also, it, you know, aside from maybe the burps that come with eating cruciferous vegetables, they tend for me to be a lot easier to digest than maybe red meat. So it's almost a convenience now in a strange way. But I think the issue for most people is they don't like the taste of vegetables. It still comes back to that. So I think maybe our goal should be explaining how to make vegetables taste better and get more vegetables into you. What do you think about that? For sure. I mean, one of the ways to make them taste good is is to cook them properly. And there isn't only one way. There isn't even only one way to cook any particular vegetable because uh, it depends what you want and, you know, what your dish is. But roasting and grilling really brings out the sweetness, caramelizes vegetables. So roast carrots, sweet potatoes, squash, even roast tomatoes, roast broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels, even cabbage mushrooms, all that can be roasted, and it tastes really good, and it's easy. You don't need to do a lot to it, salt, pepper, oil, and you you can put a dressing on it after if you want to, but that makes it really good, short period of time on a high heat. Now, it's summer, so maybe people don't want to roast things, and they can grill it. It's the same idea. So you grill eggplant, zucchini, peppers, beans, asparagus. There's a lot of things that you can grill so that you're doing, it's the same thing, like high heat uh, for a short period of time so that you get that char taste and it's not mushy on the inside, but it's cooked through. So like really easy ways to cook vegetables in the summer. You can also saute a lot of vegetables, of course. You know, you can cook them and put them in soups or stews if you want, if you want that. And then they can be soft and you might even puree it. So a lot of different ways to cook vegetables depending on the dish and it tastes really good and they're not very hard and of course you should eat them fresh especially when it's vegetable season in the summer we eat fennel all the time and i think we may have learned this in italy i I don't know why we started doing this but we have this all the time where you, you thinly slice the fennel you toss it in lemon fresh lemon juice salt and pepper and eat that like make that into salads, um, eat that as a side. Like I prefer fennel raw this way, and it tastes great. Fresh peas are so delicious. I know you don't really like them, but I I think they're great. They're so sweet, and they're very filling and good for you. They have a lot of fiber. Fresh greens, so many different options for salads. It's not like boring old salads before, like a lot of different options. Cucumbers, very fresh and refreshing. You can eat them plain. You can marinate them. You can put them in a dip. A lot of recipes for marinated cucumbers now, and all this is like very easy. So, you know, cooking, not cooking, easy. Quick pickles too, right? I mean, you know, just popping some carrots and and cucumber into maybe a light vinegar, like a white wine vinegar or an apple cider vinegar. You don't even need to put a lot of oil in there, just a little salt, maybe a little sweetener, maybe one herb. And you've got a condiment that would complement if you're still eating meat or fish, uh, goes beautifully on the side, you know, and, and, and... You know, there's certain vegetables I don't like that I've replaced them with. So you mentioned fennel. To me, fennel has replaced celery because you know how I feel about celery. Um, So, you know, like wherever you would put celery, I think you could put fennel and you're replacing that kind of very strong celery flavor for the light licorice flavor of fennel, if that's your jam. All right. So how do we make 
vegetables easy to eat? Because that's kind of the other impediment. Sometimes it's a pain to eat your vegetables. How do we make it easy peasy? Well, like with anything else, you need to think about your meals in advance. And so when you're planning your meals for the week and you think, uh, okay, I'm going to have pasta or I'm going to have chicken, whatever it is, and what else am I having with it? Like if you if you plan to have certain vegetables when you're thinking out your meals and make sure you have them in the fridge, then you will make them, right? Like if you say, okay, I'm going to have pasta, I'm going to have macaroni and cheese, don't stop there because you're not going to end up making that salad unless you really like salad. So, you know, choose, think about what you're going to have for the week. Think about how vegetables fit in and buy them. Not too many, not too many vegetables because then they'll go bad and then you'll feel bad that you wasted money. So just like think about it, buy wisely and use what you bought. Now to that point, you can also buy frozen vegetables, which as we know are actually quite healthy for you because they're picked and frozen at the peak of their freshness. So you you know, you can buy frozen vegetables, but a lot of conveniences now in terms of pre-washed lettuces. Remember washing lettuce when you're younger? Yep. That's a pain. We don't do that now for the most part. We just you know, buy spinach and arugula that's been pre-washed. And so it's easy. All right. So let's get to the recipes. I know you have some recipes you want to share from a new cookbook that is all about vegetables. Yeah. So I have quite a number of vegetable cookbooks and I was skeptical that I needed another, but then I saw this one and I just thought it was great. So I wanted to talk about this. It's called Salad Seasons by a woman named Sheila Prakash. And salad is a very loose interpretation of the word. It's not lettuce and tomatoes. It's like roast chicken and brie on escarole is one of her salads just to give uh, you a sense of that. So some things are sides, some things are breakfast uh, or dessert, and some are main courses. But there's a lot of salads. Everything was easy and everything was good that I made. So we made, to the, our discussion about fennel, we made a marinated fennel salad with crispy fried capers. And just that step of frying the capers was so good. Like yep. it was a top of salt and salt and acid that really added something. We made a scorched sugar snap peas. It's supposed to have bread in it, but we didn't use the bread. It didn't matter. With fresh mint and little sauteed garlic, great. Smoky grilled eggplant with feta and mint. We have made that a few times. You made, made it yesterday. Made it yesterday, yep. Yep. Easy. Eggplant's very simply grilled, and then you toss it in a dressing of smoked paprika, garlic, and oil, and fresh mint. And Great. You, and you need less of that dressing than you might think. <laughs> yeah. Yes, if one were to make two cups of dressing for a couple eggplants, that would be too much dressing. You yes. just follow the recipe. Yes. I don't know who would do such a thing. Anyways. I don't know. Somebody did that. How about like zucchini, torn and marinated zucchini with blistered corn? It's corn season. It's zucchini season. It's a two-for-one. Yep. Delicious summer vegetables. And then I also tried this Sicilian cauliflower couscous salad. So it's it's not couscous. It's cauliflower cut into small pieces. If people are watching carbs, uh, this is good for them. But it had some anchovy and it had raisins and acid and heat, and it was good. It, chickpeas as well, or we added the chickpeas because we wanted that bulk. But it was something different and was good too. So I liked all the recipes that I that we've tried. Agreed. And with respect to the cauliflower, I usually don't like vegetables masquerading as as other things, but I have to say it really actually worked. I was really surprised by that recipe. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're welcome. Thanks to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Kwajo Kairamanting, Dr. Ted Wayne, Melissa Cameron, and Naomi Bussin. Thank you all for listening to The Tonic. 
You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes, contact information for our guests, and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can always follow us at It's The Tonic on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. For great articles by amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of The Tonic magazine. The July-August issue is now available free on racks at over 100 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in Toronto, west of Victoria Park. Or you can visit our website, thetonic.ca. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can always email me at jamie at thetonic.ca. On our next show, we'll discuss the health and wellness issues that are important to you. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.